0: A child in a park encounters a non-human couple with a stroller. A medical professional on a hike nurses a wounded Bigfoot back to health and a couple on a motorcycle sees a yellow doorway in the sky. This week on Strange Pathways. Hello and welcome to this week's Strange Pathways. I'm your host, Scott Mort. Uh, it seems like every week is an emergency. It is, uh, once again, dealing with an emergency this weekend. If you are so inclined, I would appreciate some prayers, some good vibes, just some good thoughts for my cat, Alex. Uh, on Thursday night, on Thursday night, she started to howl and paw at her mouth. Uh, my vet is not open on, on Fridays. And I called my vet Saturday morning and to my utter surprise, they will not see her. They, they, they will not see her. So I called and I called Saturday all day. Finally, the closest one closest vet that I could get that would see my cat was about an hour away, and Monday. So we've kept Alex separated from the other cats. Uh We fed her soft food. She still howls after she eats. I'm thinking it's an ulcer, a bad tooth, what have you. But hopefully tomorrow, the vet that's all the way in Bedford, uh we have to drive an hour to Bedford, Pennsylvania. Hopefully the vet will, will see what's going on. And we'll get, we'll get Alex back on the road to good health. Anyway, on to this week's tales. Our first tale is going to take us back to the year 2010. An undisclosed location in Maryland. Now the witness, he's, he's 10 years old at the time. He had told this whenever he was 22, but he's 10 years old. One day he's playing on a swing set in a park in Maryland and this couple come up and start talking to him. It's a man and a woman and they have a black stroller with them. The witness does not ever remember seeing a baby in the stroller. It was always facing away from him. Now, the witness is the first to admit it may be an absolutely normal interaction, but there was something that felt very off, very, very dreamlike. And even at the age of 10, he was able to pick up on it. Now, the man. He was wearing blue jeans, a red and white plaid checkered shirt, but his skin was clammy, pale, gray, and he had very, very penetrating eyes. The woman has on a dress, medium length brown hair, and no matter how hard the witness tries, he cannot remember her face. He does remember she seemed... To look more normal. The man's hair would be kind of a blonde, artificial-looking bowl cut. But this woman's hair just makes her look more human. The exact wording of the conversation is lost to the witness. But he does believe it revolved around God and religion. And probably only lasted... 10 minutes. Now, a few weeks or months later, remember this is, this is 12, 13 years ago. He sees the couple again, a completely different park at a different time. And they have on the exact same outfits with the exact same stroller. It was almost as if No time had passed whatsoever for them. Once again, the witness, although young, the witness can can feel there's something off about the situation. He's apprehensive. But this time around, this time around, he can't remember if he's talked to this couple or not. The whole, the whole incident is even more vaporous than the first time. A little later on, the witness decides he's going to talk to his father about seeing this couple multiple times. And his father says something that intensely freaks him out. His dad says, maybe they were angels. Why that freaks out the witness, he's, he's not able to say, but, but it really does. The witness is perfectly, perfectly happy with finding a rational explanation for everything, but, He doesn't believe that there is a rational explanation from this. And who would he even, who would he even tell? He, one other thing he does remember though, he remembers shuffling off towards the courts, the basketball courts, after talking to them. But each encounter, fuzzy, the memory sort of blip. In and out. And even though the witness. Has a good memory for faces. He really can't remember. The lady's face. It's just not there. Honestly the whole encounter. Reminds me a lot of the. Spirit mimics. That Brad Steiger talks about. In his wonderful book Shadow World. In particular the the tale of. Kent Grandal, um, which we've talked about previously on, on strange pathways, giving you just a, a cliff notes version of it. Kent Grandal, uh, comes across this, uh, this party going on at a church and he meets a beautiful woman at this party, Carrie Rajness. And, and later on, he goes back to the church and it's abandoned. And finally, he he does end up meeting a few of the other people, not Carrie herself, but a few of the other people who were at this party. And they straight up tell him, don't bother looking for us. Don't bother looking for Carrie. You're not going to find us. And they tell him that even though the one... One of the two men sitting at the table, and I use the term men loosely, one of the two entities sitting at the table is very fond of, of Kent Grundahl. The other one doesn't like him simply because he's, he's human and their kind were here first, almost as if humans stole this world from them. I mean, is that the case? Are we living on a planet that has been handed down over and over and over? Are we living, are we living on, on a world where maybe we only think we're the, we're the head honchos, we're the ones in charge. And maybe there's some sort of shadow government. And I'm not talking a human shadow government. I'm talking a breakaway civilization. Maybe we only feel like we're in charge. And the real strings are being pulled from somewhere else. Maybe not even somewhere in this reality. A shared alternate reality. Our next tale is going to take us all the way back to 2017, Lassen National Forest, California. Our witness is preferring to remain anonymous. She is going to go by the name C. And back in 2017, C is hiking along a small trail. Now, this trail goes right beside of a stream off of a forest road in Lassen National Forest in northeastern California. Beautiful. Beautiful beautiful country. Oroville, California. Man, back in whenever I was there in 84, just absolutely gorgeous. There is a problem in northeastern California though. Um and we will get to that because the problem I ran into in 84 Is the same problem, which, to me, the fact that it is a problem blows my mind. But it's the same problem C will happen across. C's comfortable. C feels like she's safe because there's a couple of cars along the road. C likes to hike in some odd places. Kind of uses the maps, GPS, what have you. One of C's favorite things to do is pinpoint unique land features on a topo map and go and find them. Now, C usually goes with a group of friends, but today she's hiking alone. Now, she's smart, though. Whenever she's alone, she doesn't go too far into the forest. But fate has other plans for C today. There were a lo- there was a lot of algae in the stream. The actual stream uh, stream is small, which is odd because there had been a decent snowfall over that winter. And before long, C can smell rotting trout. There are pieces of trash littered along the stream. A few small dead animals near the stream, but even though it's disgusting, C just comes to the conclusion. That this is a popular area with teens, target shooters, and they they left some trash behind. But what she's mistaking for trash is actually warning signs. C is getting close to her intended destination, which is a spot along the stream that kind of looks like it may be a waterfall. It, it looks like it could be a waterfall on the topo map. Sadly, there is trash Everywhere. All the plants are uprooted. And then she sees the holding pond. Now this holding pond is lined with plastic sheeting along the stream. And there's piles of sports drink bottles filled with a milky pink fluid next to it. Along the edges of this kind of garden are these homemade spike strips, boards with nails driven through them. C has found an illegal marijuana grow site. And even though it is legal in California, there are illegal grow sites. And whenever you come across them, you are in a lot of danger. You are in a lot of danger. C turns and runs into the shrubs of the opposite side of the trail and she's hiding behind this tree stump. C checks the map to make sure she's heading in the right direction. The cars of the trailhead, that's where she needs to get to. But she then realizes, wait, the cars of the trailhead that they probably belong to whoever is growing the marijuana. And if they're not at this location, they're probably at another. She starts to stand up, drops back down, because she hears a pair of male voices speaking in Spanish. I have the feeling C knows as much Spanish as I do. A few words here and there. She recognizes words like mountain, up. But as they're talking, they kept repeating grande, grande, big, big. The voices begin to fade away. C quietly starts to go in the opposite direction. She needs to put distance between them and her. She pulls out the map. And she looks, if she keeps going east, there are going to be no streams, some decent elevation changes, and then a forest road that she can follow. She walks as straight as as she can, maintaining an eastbound path for about 30 minutes. And then she hears a soft wailing sound. It's coming from her left. It's nothing like she's ever heard before. It actually stops her dead in her tracks. It didn't sound like an animal. It sounded human. And there's some sort of strange odor in the air. Now, it's not marijuana. She could smell the marijuana back at the garden and the holding pond. But no, this is different. She gets nervous because she sees tracks on the ground. They look like bear tracks, but like a double step. Like one footprint overlapping the other. But one side has blood on it. A wounded animal is a dangerous animal. In one hand, she has bear spray. In the other hand, she pulls out a knife. And she's just standing there. Listening for the source of the noise. Everything has gone silent. And then suddenly, something crashes into her left side from her rear, knocking her down to the ground. And she looks up, terrified that it's a bear. But what she's actually seeing is a massive man covered in dirty blonde hair and very tan skin. The man grunts at her and then collapses onto the ground. His feet are near C's face. And she can see the massive gash in the sole of his foot. Pine needles, dirt, it's sticking to the blood that's oozing out. She hears voices coming from the direction she had just come from. She thinks these may be the same men. She's not sure. She jumps to her feet, smacks this hairy man on his leg and says, Go! She starts running east. And she can hear his limping footsteps pounding on the ground just slightly north. There's a hill ahead, several large boulders that she can see. She continues running through the thick trees until she reaches it, climbs up the hill... And she can smell that smell again. That weird odor. C follows that odor. And she finds the man. He's taking short, rapid breaths. And he has two holes in the far right side of his chest. He's human, but he's not human. He's big enough that he could kill her with one hand. Yet she has this overwhelming urge to help him. She kneels down beside of him. Checks for a pulse on his enormous hand. She can feel it beating strong. She has a first aid kit with her. She gets it out of her pack. And he's looking at her with just... Just that look of like, please help me. Please help me. is doing a, a certain type of triage on this creature. She gets her ear close to the wounds in his chest. Doesn't hear a sucking sound. Packs them with gauze. Applies pressure for several minutes. Gets that bleeding to stop. And then she rips two pieces of tape off the roll. This creature's eyes are slightly open. She gestures for him to open his mouth, but he closes his eyes, keeps his mouth shut. But she reaches over to this mighty creature's mouth and pulled his mouth open, checking his gums, his tongue, keeping her fingers very clear. His gums were dark, tongue is pink. Didn't see any signs that his lung had been punctured. But she can't help but notice that this creature's teeth aren't a human's teeth. The canine teeth were larger, but not as oversized as a gorilla's. The critical chest injuries are dressed, so she decides now it's time to work on the foot. She gets a little water out of her pack, washes it, and he starts moaning, lifting his head up and looking at her, but he doesn't jerk his foot away. This is the part of the story that interests me. I used to work in a hospital, and I can tell you, I have seen people come in with bad head injuries, bad chest injuries, but they'll be complaining more about a hand injury, an arm injury, a foot injury, Why? Because they can see it better. Even though, like, the head trauma would be massive, they would be complaining about their cut-up hand. So, the fact that this creature, even though he's got two chest wounds, is kind of more concerned with his foot, that really hit true to me. It, It means we share a certain psychology She she does her best to clean out the foot using using one of her maxi pads. The cut is nearly an inch deep across most of the foot. And there's a hole in the top of his foot as well. She fills the cut with ointment and uses tape to make butterfly strips to pull the two sides of the wound together. She leaves drainage gaps between the strips. She leaves the hole on top uncovered to serve as a drain as well. She takes her last maxi pad, straps it to the bottom of his foot, so that it can be like a sandal, using tape across the top to keep it in place. She looks back up at the creature's face, and she sees a small trickle of blood running on the ground by his head. She'd missed something. He, he needs to roll over, but he's far too heavy, far too heavy. So C pulls on his arm, hoping that he gets the idea. Finally, this, this creature rolls on his side and C finds two exit wounds on his back the size of her thumb. So she doesn't have much left in the first aid kit. But she does have a few tampons. She opens up the tampon package. Puts the applicator in about an inch deep. And leaves the tampon inside. About a third of it outside of the body. He pull, She pulls on his arm... To get him back on his back. To keep pressure on those tampons. Once he was flat again. He closed his eyes. His breathing slowed. And he fell asleep. C stays there watching him. For a few minutes. Cleaning up her trash. And then she hears shots in the distance. She needs to get down. To where she can find help. But she can't leave this creature. Her cell phone doesn't have service. But she doesn't think it's likely whoever was shooting the gun would come up the hill. She gathers a few branches. Keeps them covered. Hoping that he'll stay sleeping until she comes back. She starts down the hill on the eastern side. Hits the flat dirt path, runs south, and sees a truck. But then she sees the light bar on the top. It's a ranger. She breaks down. She is so relieved. She tells the ranger about the illegal grow. And says that she saw a severely wounded bear with young cubs they had shot. Now she knows it's a lie, but she can't tell him that she's nursed a Sasquatch back to health. They drive back to the hill where she hid him. The ranger is following close behind. I... I can't imagine what is thinking at this point. When they get to the top of the hill, C can see that the branches are gone. The blood from his back was still there. The branches she'd covered him with are arranged in an X on the ground but he's gone. She's left with an unfinished story. She'll never know what happened to him. It's, it's gotta be so frustrating. All those dead animals, all that trash. That's, that was from the illegal growers. They divert waters from streams to grow marijuana. Their camping garbage brings out a lot of wildlife. They they use rodenticides and insecticides. Large die-offs are common. And she's wondering, if Sasquatch is the protector of the forest, is that what brought him out? She's certain that the men saw him. She's certain that the men were the ones who shot him. She's certain that those spike strips that they laid down were what ripped up his foot. The fact that this woman was brave enough to care for this injured creature stuns me to no end i don't think i could have done it hats off to you see Our last tale is going to take us back to nineteen sixty six, Richmond, British Columbia, round about six PM. Brian Reinhart and his girlfriend Lee had been out on a ride on Brian's motorcycle. They were on their way home. They were northbound on Highway ninety nine. Brian and Lee had just come out of the tunnel when Brian notices a large yellow rectangle. Hanging in the air above UBC. Now this would put it just north of the airport. At first, Brian thinks this is some sort of reflection in the helmet's visor. He shakes his head back and forth a little bit. He lifts the visor, but this yellow rectangle is still there. He looks back at his girlfriend as and says... Lee, can can you see that? And indeed she can. They drive for miles. And they keep glancing at it. All the way across Richmond. And it stays with them. Now Brian hopes that he's going to be able to get home and take a better look through the binoculars. But just as Brian and Lee approach the south end of Oak Street Bridge. They see they see what looked like shadows of people moving inside what what Brian and Lee had thought was a yellow craft now appears to be some sort of portal a doorway and this doorway is beginning to close it's just like a door had swung shut and then it was gone. Brian and Lee have the the strong impression that what they were looking through was a doorway into some sort of large room. But whatever it was was completely invisible from the outside. thank you for joining us once again here on strange pathways i have hit the pause button on this record so many times because i am still suffering with a vicious cough and uh yeah quite honestly i'm done (laughs) hitting the pause button (laughs) so (coughs) (coughs) you're just gonna get the coughs through the outro oh yeah this is good radio if you are having mental health trouble dealing with a paranormal incident please reach out to the prus network at opus org. find us on twitter pathways strange tiktok strange pathways podcast instagram strange pathways podcast as well come on over to the facebook we're not going to have a lot of photos this time around, really just links to the show simply because there's not a lot of photos for what we talked about today. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at strange Pathwaysmail at gmail.com. Please head over to YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. But the most important thing that I can ask you this week, please give Alex some some good vibes, some prayers. Uh Alex, my cat, once again going through some health issues. We had a very hard time finding a vet. We're driving an hour tomorrow to get her to the the nearest vet that would see her. So if you could send good vibes, prayers, thoughts, kind thoughts. I, I know some of you might find it silly to care this much about a cat, but I do. I do. Um I'm going to tell you a story about Alex. Uh, Alex is part of a litter of, of three cats. Wilfred Brimley, who you heard throughout the show being very loud is Alex's brother and Cthulhu, who sadly passed away about three years ago. Cthulhu was her brother. Big, burly, beefy cat. I had a little bend in his nose to look just like Liam Neeson in cat form. And her mother lives with us. Greta Garbo. Whenever I was homeless and I was for a short time, they were homeless with me. And I did my best to keep my family together. I didn't succeed. I wasn't able to keep everyone together with me <coughs> <coughs> but I was able <coughs> excuse me I was able to find homes for everyone there was two dogs Scarlet and Nikki I missed them terribly I couldn't find someone to take them while I put my life back on track I was homeless through no fault of my own A, a, an unjust, an unjust legal system and a poorly written will made me homeless. And the irony is, is the person who wrote the will is also the person who, the, the people who got my home hired to help them acquire my home. So that was that was a rough time in my life. These guys, Wilford and Greta and Alex and you know what, Pebbles, my little chihuahua, they made it through with me. Nikki and Scarlett, I had to find new homes for. And that broke my heart, but I made sure they were safe. So I would love it if you could give Alex some love, some prayers. Because quite honestly, she's stuck beside me through this whole thing. I do thank you for joining us this week on Strange Pathways. I apologize for all the coughing at the end. And take care of yourselves and each other.